If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians for a little bit and 1 Corinthians, uh, give you a chance to, to find that. Uh, several years ago, uh, seems like probably 2000, I don't know, 15-ish, uh, I was listening to a podcast. Uh, anybody else like podcasts? Like, I'm just sort of a voracious podcast listener. Uh, it's just, anytime I get a little extra time, I'll turn on a podcast, I'll listen to it. There was this guy, uh, his name was Tyler Gillette. Tyler Gillette, you can Google, Google him later. The name, the episode that he was on is called The Case of the Missing Hit. Tyler uh, was married, uh, it was around Christmas time, and the song comes on the radio, and he kind of remembers the song, and him and his wife we're talking about something. And he says, you know what the song reminds me of? And she's like, no. She goes, he says, well, it reminds me of this song that goes like, and then I'll spare you. He just sort of like runs off a couple of lyrics and a couple of notes. And the wife is like, what are you talking about? Oh, you know, everybody knows that song. It's the song that it kind of sounds like, nah, nah, nah. and she goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. She, we talked, she, and he says, it was the biggest hit when I was in middle school. I, I remember this from school. I remember that it kind of sounded like you two. It kind of sounded like this. And she says, listen to me, I'm not telling you, like, I kind of remember what you're, I have no idea what you're talking about. So he said, he said, well, you know, you just don't know music or whatever. So he goes and he talks to his friends. Hey guys, you remember that song that goes, nah, nah, nah. and he's like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. Everybody he talked to. The song that in his mind was the biggest song of 1990-whatever when he was in sixth grade uh, is a song that nobody else has heard of. And so it created this moment, maybe you've had this, where now the song is stuck in his head and he can't get it out. Have you ever had that frustration where the song is just, it's playing on repeat and it's the same couple of lines over and over again? The word for that, by the way, is an earworm. Anybody have an earworm? Like, oh, that's disgusting. I remember telling my kids about an earworm for the first time. Uh, he had this earworm, the song that is something from his childhood that he remembers and nobody else does. It's a, it's a great podcast episode. You should listen to it uh, if you're into that sort of thing. But it turns out this guy isn't just some regular guy with a song stuck in his head. He is a musician that happens to have perfect pitch. And so when he says, I remember the song, he remembers it in a different way than many of you and definitely me remembers the song. And so he gets his computer out, he gets his keyboard out and he goes, it was this note followed by this note followed by this note. And he's like, has a little bit more like this. And so he gets, he gets his laptop out and he starts playing the different parts. He plays the piano part. He plays the horn part. He plays the string part. He does the lyrics. He does the backup lyrics. He lays it on top of each other. And he says, does anybody remember this song? And he plays it. And everybody's like, what do you, first of all, you have too much time on your hands, uh, Pete Tyler Gallant. Second of all, it is no, I, and he's flabbergasted. He said the song sounded exactly like this. And so the podcast picks up with him calling into the show. And he says, listen, th I know that the song existed. Nobody else believes me. Can you find it? So now the podcast and the producers and all the people, they start researching it. Long story short, um, he did remember the song that nobody else remembered. It did happen to exist. Um, it was a promotional thing that was just local to his area. And whenever they played the song that he created from memory in his 30s or whatever he is from sixth grade and then played the real song, it was note for note, beat for beat, exactly the way it should have been. It was. It's, it is creepy how close this guy got You know, 20 years later. What, what's the point of that? First of all, that's a really interesting story to me that I, just, I want to go back and listen to the podcast just because of that. Second of all, it really ties in with what we're talking about now, because we're, we're in this series right now called Find the Melody. 
And what the premise of this is, is that there's been a song playing from the beginning of time that we just sort of know, we sort of remember. And every now and then we catch a beat of it. We hear it in the background of something. Um, but if you're not careful, if you're not living on purpose, you may miss it. Uh, we we kind of see that God has been working out the same things over the entire course of creation. And he's been hitting sort of the same notes from Genesis into you know Leviticus, into Judges, into the prophets. And even once you get into the Gospels, the same notes keep hitting. And you and I will find our most pleasure, our most joy when we live in harmony with the melody that God is already playing. So the question is, is, is your life generally, is it in chaos or is it in harmony? Have you, have you found a way to live in harmony? And if you want to live in harmony, it's going to be that you find the melody. And what I'm going to make the case for today is that this melody that we're talking about, it's actually a love song. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good love song. And love songs, are they're everywhere, right? And love songs, they always chart our top billboard artists. I don't know what the top love song is right now, but I guarantee you there's a new one right now. Uh, every genre has love songs. It can be R&B love songs. It can be, it can be country love songs. It can be, uh, you know, rap, rock, whatever. They all have love songs. Uh, you and I, uh, we, we value love over just about anything else. Love is better than hate. Can we all agree on that? Okay, but why? Why is love better than hate? Why? Why shouldn't I have the right as a as a you know an animal uh, to just hate things? Right? Um, well, you in- instinctively know that love is better than hate. But the question is, why is love better than hate? And what I'm going to make the argument for is because there's this melody playing in the background that God is love, and love is better than hate because it's more like God than hate is. Um, when when we're parenting our kids, we tell them like, "No, you've got to love, love, love people. Be kind to people. Don't hate people. Don't be rude to people." We say, "Be be kind." But do we? Ever Ever stop and think of why? Where is it? I, I think the reason that we instinctively know that love is better than hate and love is better than apathy and love is better than anger is because we all have kind of an earworm. We have this song that's kind of playing in the background. We can't quite shake it, but we know somewhere deep down inside that love is better. Uh, I'm going to make the case today that the melody is a love song that's been playing in the background of creation since the beginning of creation, which is a big statement to make. Jesse, like, can you make a statement like, this has been in existence since the beginning of time? I think that I can. So if you'll uh, bear with me, uh, let's, let's open our scriptures. Let's look at Ephesians first, and then we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, I just want to make the case, first of all, that this is a love song, love song, and it's been playing since the beginning of time. Ephesians is written by a guy named Paul, uh, who also wrote 1 Corinthians, so that helps us in understanding this author. Um, and we referenced Ephesians last week when we looked at Ephesians 2, but here's how he opens the letter of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So um, he's opening his letter to the Ephesians. He's like, God has blessed us through Jesus. He's blessed us with everything, everything you can imagine, everything that is possible to be good, we have been given through Christ. So those are those are also really big statements. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him, when? When did he choose you? If, you? if you're a follower of Jesus, if you confess Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, when did God choose you? 
You may remember when you chose God. Oh, I was at VBS, Jesse, and the, the guy said this. Great, awesome. I was, I was in my 50s, and just all of a sudden I've heard the gospel before, and now it just clicked. It just made sense. That's when you chose God. But when did God choose you? What Paul says is this. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, uh, before the foundation of the world is that before you see in Genesis 1, God said, well, Genesis 2, which is, where, where's Genesis 1, 3? Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. In the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before that sentence, if that makes any sense, before time existed. How do you say something that is before time? But Paul did. Before the foundations of the earth were built, God chose you. He knew this moment was coming. He knew that we would need a Savior. He knew that Christ was going to eventually go to the cross, and it was a secret that he held like in his mind through all of creation, through all of the Old Testament, through all of these moments, that when Jesus goes to the cross, this is kind of the point of Ephesians, that when Jesus goes to the cross, it's like this big aha moment, even for the angels. It's like, I knew he was up to something secret. Wow, he's up to something. He did this. That This song, this melody, if you will, has been since before the foundation of the world, that you and I, we, should be holy and blameless before him in love. Before we change, notice there's no period after in love. When they decided, like, we're going to call this verse 4 and the next one verse 5, why they put that verse break in the middle of a sentence is beyond me. But just know it's one long sentence going into 5. It says, in love... He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In, in what? In love. It's a love song. This, this idea that we would be found in Christ is because of his crazy love for us, that before the foundations of the world were laid, before your parents existed, before your grandparents existed, before any humanity existed, he loved you. Insert your name right there. In love that we would be uh, uh, predestined for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now we're getting to the reason why this song exists. It's the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, with a capital B, in, in Christ, that is. That the purpose of all of this, the reason why this love song exists, the reason why you would call yourself a Christian, like what, what is God driving at? It's for his own praise. It's for his own glory. It's, it's for, it's for him, the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. Those songs we sang at the beginning, um, we, you know, Jason and I, we didn't orchestrate this, but listen, um, those songs are exactly this point. The reason for your existence is to bring Jesus all of the glory possible in your life. And whatever we hold on to is against the song. It is playing our own notes. Our purpose, the purpose of the song is to bring God glory. Now this, this is like an earth shattering moment for many Christians because we think, you know, I want to be saved so I can be a better person. I want to be saved so I can be a better dad. I want to be saved so that I can, I can just be nice to people and stop getting so angry. I want to be saved for me. I want to be a follower of Jesus. That may be like the entry, the gateway drug to Christianity, but it's not the main point of Christianity. Your salvation, the, the gateway drug to Christianity got you? Yeah, it's okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll edit that from the live stream, it's fine. Uh, that It may be that you didn't know what you were biting off as you chose Christ, but he chose you for the purpose of bringing him ultimate glory. 
in surrendering to his will and surrendering to what he's doing and surrendering to what he's wanting to accomplish in all of creation through your life is to bring him glory. Love is the song. Love is such a, nobody in here is surprised that I'm going to talk about love, right? Like uh, who goes to church and it's like your first time in church and the preacher gets up, it's like, hey, you know, God wants you to love people. And it's just like this aha moment. Like what? What are you talking about? Everybody just sort of instinctively knows that God thinks that love is kind of a big deal, but it's not, it's not just one on the list of big deals. It is all over scripture. Love is like this main point uh, for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the most famous Bible verse in America, probably. Uh, They will know that you are my disciples, Jesus says, by your love for one another. Love is this main point in scripture. It seems to be the note that Jesus hits on over and over and over again. One, one of the things that I find that I want to be as a, as a pastor, as a teacher, as a preacher, is I want to teach the same things that Jesus taught in the same ratio or the same percentage that he taught on them. So for example, did Jesus talk about hell? Yeah, a couple of times, did, but not that much. And so should I teach on hell? Yeah, but not not as much as some preachers do. Uh, did Jesus talk about love? Oh my gosh. It's like all he ever talked about. How to love people. The fact that God loves you. What we should do with our enemies. We should, what are enemies? Punch them in the nose? No, we, we should love. So we're going to talk about love today. Uh, that this is a love song. And if we're going to understand the melody, we're going to have to understand love well. Now, uh, I need to go over something that may be a repeat for many of you. If you've been in church for more than a few years, you probably know that love is one English word, but it's multiple Greek words. Okay. You may know that, but if you don't know that, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, like, we're going to take a little moment, get everybody on the same page about that, that there are multiple words in the New Testament for love. And I, I just want to look at them real quick. The, the four loves of ancient Greek. And there's actually more now. I looked it up and like modern Greek has like eight different ways of talking about love. When I say that I love my wife and I love my kids and I love tacos and I love my truck, I'm saying different things. You understand that, right? Because we speak English that they they are different kinds of love uh, all the way around. And so we need to be clear about what kinds of love are available to us when the New Testament is talking about it. Uh, Greek, uh, one, one of the words for love is agape. This is the most common word for love in the New Testament. This is the best kind of love that there is. This is unconditional, no strings attached kind of love. When when scripture says, for God so loved the world, it is a no strings attached, unconditional love. It is ultimate love uh, with no other caveat to be added to it. Agape love is in the New Testament. Uh, Phileo love is where we get the word like uh, Philadelphia or uh, a better word to remember is philanthropy. So any, any philanthropists in here? You donate to calls? You, you Nobody? Nobody has a mega multi-Silicon Valley kind of a job? Uh, all these billionaires, they're like, I'm, I'm, Bill Gates is this famous philanthropist who's trying to give away his money. It is philanthropy, phileo love, is the kind of love you have for someone that you choose. That you choose to do good works for them. Um, this is uh, the kind of love where uh, it's called brotherly love, the city of brotherly love, but it's it's different than family brother. It's the kind of brother that or sister that you make that is closer to you than almost a family member. You, you understand? This is someone that, like, if you have two of these in your life, you probably have double what you should have ever expected in your life. You, you're probably not going to have a lot of people that are that close to you. But this is the kind of love that you can, whether you feel it or not, you can just 
choose to phileo someone, some philanthropy. Uh, storge is uh, another Greek word for love. This is the kind of love that you have for mom and your aunt. Uh, this is the kind of love that you have for your children. This is the kind of love that just naturally flows in a family as a unit. You just look around, you're just like, these are my people. This is storge love. And then the last one uh, that doesn't actually appear in the New Testament, but it is an ancient Greek word, is the word eros. Uh, this is romantic love. This is where we get the English word erotic from, eros love. Um, this is the kind of love that you're falling into and out of, by the way. You, you ever have someone's like, I, I don't know, but I think I'm falling in love. Well, that's not agape. That's not storge. That's not phileo. That is eros love. So let, let, let's, let me help you learn some Greek real quick. Just an easy way to remember this is uh, hypothetically, um, you're in middle school, right? And you just were high school. Let's, let's not put this on the middle school. You're in high school and you work up the courage for that girl you've been liking or that guy you've been liking. You've been working up the courage and you say, I love you. And then she's going to respond. And the way that she responds kind of changes the way that this, if she says, I love you back, she might say, I agape you. I, I love you too. That's, that's sweet. That's kind of the goal. If you say something like that, you want that one back. But if you say, I love you, and she's like, I kind of, uh, storge you like my uncle, that's not, that's not going to work out. Okay. <laughs> That, that is worse than the friend zone. It's just, it's just not good. I love you, you say, and she responds back or he responds back with, I, I love you like a brother. I, I phileo you. Oh, you know, that's, that's not bad. Okay. Like you're close. You're probably not getting married. Okay. Like we can do, we can find you somebody else. There's other fish in the sea. Uh, if you say, I love you. And then she giggles and she's like, I'm falling in love. That's Eros. That's a different kind of love. So you understand, right? That in Greek, there are multiple kinds of love. The love song that is singing over us is a no-strings-attached song. It's a melody that is meant to call us to love other people and to love our God with no caveats, with full abandon, with zero cares for ourself. It is the ultimate sacrificial love. It is the agape love. And so if you would... Uh, at the risk of moving into preacher mode, or uh, uh, I'm already in preacher mode, in uh, wedding, wedding preacher mode, go to 1 Corinthians 13. The love chapter gives us a definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, I've used this in, in, and have been asked to use this in multiple weddings because it's a great passage to teach uh, out of weddings. And as someone who just did a wedding this week, I may accidentally, dearly beloved, I may just slip into it from time to time. Paul writes 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth because they're getting a lot of things wrong. And as we're wrapping up the, the letter, 1 Corinthians, we're getting to the end in chapter 13. It's like, let me explain to you something. Love is the main point. Let me tell you what love is. Chapter 13 is a definition of love. Let's, let's look at it uh, together. Verse 1 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I love that he even uses instruments in this. So this idea of find the melody, it's, it's more of a, a preacher metaphor than it is actually, like it's not always used in musical notes through scripture, but Paul does right here. He says, he says, if I have the ability to speak in every language known to man, I can speak, you know, Chinese, Japanese, Spanish, I can speak all the languages. Um, and I can even speak languages that aren't even human languages. I can speak angel languages. If I 
have that and I'm really, really smart, but I have love or I have not love. I'm just like banging. My, you have kids who like they're making a lot of noise for no reason. Oh my gosh. That's what we are when we're really, really smart, but we don't have agape. We don't have love. He says, verse two, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Listen to me, Christian. If you're the smartest Christian in the world, with all the theology you can muster up, your, your, your IQ is double everybody else's in this room. You have all of the faith and all of the trust in God that he can do anything. Your faith is, is just tacking out, but you don't love other people. Paul says that you are nothing. He says that he would be nothing in this moment. He says, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I've wasted my time. If I take all of my wealth and give it away, if I, if I give up my body as a sacrifice for somebody else and I give and I give and I give, but I do it out of another motivation other than love, what was I doing? I was twiddling my thumbs. Man, he believes a lot about love. What is love? Verse four, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If This is the litmus test for love. What, what is love? This kind of love that we're trying to aim at. This is the kind of love that you hope the best in the other person. This is the kind of love where you're not jealous when they succeed, that their success somehow doesn't take away from yours. Do you love your coworker? A perfect test for if you love your coworker is this. They got the promotion that you were hoping to get, and you're not mad about it. It's okay. There's enough promotion to go around, and you just trust, like, it's good. Uh, do you love your neighbor? Uh, well, if you're boasting about how great your house is over your neighbor's house, if you have this kind of heart of bragginess, that's something other than the kind of love that is our target. This is meant to be a litmus test where we kind of search the depths of our heart, and is it lining up with what God says? Because love, listen to this, is not a feeling. The four words in Greek that are available to Paul for love, only one of them is a feeling, and it's nowhere in the New Testament. It doesn't exist. The rest of them, they are choices. The kind of love that God is asking of you is the kind of love that you choose to engage in, not that you just happen to do when the feeling hits and it's just right. Love does not insist on its own way. It says in verse 5, it, it is not irritable or resentful. This is the kind of love that we're looking for, that it's okay if, if my idea isn't the one that's chosen. It's This is an idea, and you have an idea, and you have an idea, and out of the three of us, maybe we just find a better, like there's a fourth option that because we're sharing, we're not, we're not in competition, we we find love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The kind of love that is our goal, the bullseye, is where you just believe the best intentions of all the people who really irritate you. You believe that that politician isn't the spawn of Satan, even though you would never vote for him. It's okay to like not vote for the guy or the girl or whoever it is. It's okay. But then to 
move into a space where you don't believe that they have their best intention? Like, what if I told you this? I don't, I don't know who you voted for for president, but what if I told you that the other guy, listen, is probably doing what they believe is in the best interest of America? And you're like, no, you don't understand. I'll watch this. I'm just telling you, like, most people don't have a malicious, like, uh, uh, conspiracy uh, motivation to see things through. I, I, I didn't mean to get political. It's just, it's just happening. Uh, what, if, what if that guy at work that really annoys you, what, what if their motivation isn't as messy as we put in our head? What if, what if we can move to a space of loving for that guy or for that, that girl that we just, even if we disagree, we just believe the best in them? It rejoices in truth, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never ends. Love, this love, it's, we have to learn it. This is a practice run because you're going to live for all of eternity. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to live for all eternity in the new creation. Love is going to persist. This love is going to go on. Other things are not. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. There's a time coming where all these other things are temporary and they go away, but love is going to last forever. Now we get to where we are today. Verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What we're talking about is how to mature in Jesus. You want, you want to grow up? You want to be a man? You want to be a woman? Stop being a, a boy? Stop being a little girl? You want to grow up in your faith? It is through love, and it is not through anything else. You can have been a follower of Jesus for 20 years and still be an infant because we haven't learned to love. And you can be a follower of Jesus for just 20 days. And because you've worked at love, you were more mature than the other. What we're talking about is giving up all of those childish ways. You see, the thing about childish ways is this. If, if I, I remember, I remember thinking to myself, parenting is going to be so easy. I'm going to have a two year old that wants to be potty trained. And I'm just going to look at this two year old and like, Hey man, uh, you're tired of getting gross. All right. Go to the potty. And like, that should do it. Right. Because it's just, it's just a logical thing to like stop using the diaper and go use that thing. It should be really, really easy. But the thing about childish ways is that the child doesn't think of them as childish in the moment. See, we run the risk of believing we're more mature than we are, just like every child in the history of humanity has always believed. But we should put ourselves through the litmus test, and we're going to give up our childish ways. And I'm I'm choosing not to do that. I'm going to start to be a man or a grown woman, a strong person of faith, because I'm giving this up. This is in line with the song that we were just singing, If, If More of You Means Less of Me, that getting rid of these childish ways. Let me continue so I don't run out of time. As tends to be the case. Verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Your God, your God knows you. He knows you better than you know you. Right now we're looking in a mirror dimly. It's a foggy mirror because we're flawed creatures without perfect view. Even though we look in the mirror dimly, we still see this need to love others. And hopefully, as a follower of Jesus, we see in us things that need to be kind of plucked away. 
So verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love is going to persist. Love is the melody. Um, I'm going to quickly turn to 1 Peter. I say quickly because I have got all preachy. People, people don't know. You don't know how hard it is to stay on, on time up here. First, first Peter is uh, where we'll close. This will be the, the final passage. You say, you know, I'm supposed to love, but how am I supposed to do that? This, this is the kind of love that you can choose, but I, I've been trying to choose it all this time. How, how can I do it? Jesse, this is hard. If, if anything about what I've said is like you come across like, hey, that sounds really hard to grow up that way. It is hard. But First Peter tells us how I love that First Peter is the one who does this because uh, Peter, you may remember, is the one who denied Jesus three times. You, if you've been around church, you may know that story. And if you've been around church a little bit longer than that, you may remember that after Christ is resurrected, he's having a nice fish picnic on the side of the beach. And Peter walks up and they're having a little lunch. And uh, Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter starts doing a little word game. Uh, do you agape me, Peter? And Peter goes, oh, you know, I phileo you. Jesus is like, that's not what I said, brother. That's not what I said. You know that I love you, Peter says. Three times Peter denies Jesus, and three times Jesus asks him, do you love me? And three times Peter responds with this little word game of, well, I kind of love you this way and this way. And now he's older, and he writes this. I think, I think we can learn something from him here. Uh, chapter 1, verse 22 says this. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Uh, real quick, uh, if you're paying attention to the Greek brotherly love, which one do you think that is? Yes. Oh, man, we have some Greek scholars in here. Phileo love. That's the Greek word right here. That, that being purified in your souls by what? The obedience to the truth. This is why when we're teaching, we, we're the church. We're the grace and truth church, right? We're going to be obedient to the things that we know are true. And by doing so, we're choosing to love people. We're having that love, that philanthropy love, to just do good things for people. Uh, as Even when we don't feel like it, we choose to do it. That having been purified by our souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, phileo love, comma, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is so hard to see in English and so easy to see in Greek. The, can we put that verse back up? The, the first word is phileo love, and the second word is agape love. If you want to learn how to love the way that God is calling us to love, um, we're going to have to be obedient to the truth and choose to show love even when we don't feel it. And as a result of that, we get agape love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The melody at the beginning of time, the melody that's singing over your life is a love song. And what Peter just said is it's not going to change. God's not going to change his mind about what he's wanting to accomplish in creation just because you say it's hard, just because Jesse says I'm not good at it, just because it's really easier to hate people than it is to love them. He's not going to change. And if I want to have peace in my life, if I want to have harmony in my life, I have to get on his note. I have to follow his lead, not try to make up my own song. You, you understand where this metaphor is. 
This, this is, the, the flower fades, the grass is going to wither, all of this is going to fade away, but this word, this thing that God is teaching us is going to stand for all of time. So chapter 2 says this, verse 1. So put away, what, what do we need to do to do this? We've got to put some stuff away. We're going to put away all malice, all deceit. We're going to put away hypocrisy and envy and slander. All of those things in our heart that come so naturally, that are so easy, they are the bad notes that you hear in the fifth grade band or whatever, where they're just like the kids, like, I've got a tuba. And just like, that's not even a real note, my friend. You messed up the whole song. When we have envy for someone, when we're slandering people behind their back, when we're being deceitful with ourselves and with others about what our intentions are and what's going on, when, when we have hypocrisy, we say one thing, but then we act another way in public, those are in private, rather, those are bad notes. We've got to take those things, and in maturity, we have to put those away in Christ. I, I don't like clocks anymore. Verse 2, like newborn infants, there's, there's this idea again that we're just, we're just infants, or growing, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Notice, notice what he adds that caveat there. Peter says, listen, I'm not talking about you as non-followers of Jesus learning to love people so that you earn God's love. If you've already tasted that the Lord is good, if you've already confessed Jesus as Lord, this is how you grow in that. We start to love people and we put away all of these wicked parts of our heart. Verse 4, it says, as you come to him, as, as we come to Christ, who is Christ? Uh, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. He says, he says God, uh, people push this, this Jesus away, but God chose him. You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. What God's wanting to do in this world and has been doing since the beginning of time is that he wants to build this, this structure, the, what, what Peter's calling a spiritual house. The blocks in the spiritual house, the stone tower, each stone is a person. You are the stones. And he's being built up. You're, you're being built up into a structure that is supposed to be a priesthood for the rest of creation, for the rest of the world that doesn't know the love of God yet. And in order for us to do it, we have to learn to play our part. Put away malice, put away all the wicked parts of our heart, and do this thing called love. This is the most mature. You're like, Jesse, this is a really lame sermon. Like, of course, we're this is what maturity in Jesus looks like, is to grow in agape love. You are more like your heavenly father when you unconditionally love another person than you are with any other action, with any other thought. And it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how hard you work or how good you are at being nice to people and putting on a, a grin. None of those things will matter in the long run until we get agape love. There's more uh, I could say about this idea of building a stone uh, tower. Uh, I will put it in the newsletter, and that's a good segue. Like, sign up for the newsletter. I'll put it in there, believe me. Um, let's meditate on this as we close. Uh, we're going to start to look at 
following this week, uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to look at specific seasons in life, and we're going to try to learn to find the melody in parenting, find the melody in singleness, find the melody in marriage, find the melody as we move into retirement ages. We're working on, we're going to be very, very practical, but for now, this week, let's meditate on this, is that the proof that you are maturing in Christ is when you love people well, when you agape people well. And all of us, myself included, it will include putting away those wicked parts of the heart, malice, envy, deceit, hypocrisy. We put that away, and then all that's left is this ability to love the unlovable. You say, Jesse, I'm, how am I supposed to love the unlovable? Like, what if, what if they're really mean to me? Like, what, they say bad things about you behind your back? Should I love them? What, what, if, what, if, they, what if they try to, like, hit me? I don't know. What, what if they try to arrest you? Should you love them? What if they say a bunch of lies about you and have you falsely arrested and then, you know, decide they want to execute you? Should you love them? You probably see where I'm going with this. You know, Jesus, he's hanging on the cross with everybody saying the most of wicked, vile things, and he says, God forgive them, they don't know what they do. That's the kind of love that we're called to. And then we're like, well, Jesse, that's, you know, that's Jesus, he's God, he's got God powers. So that's why he's able to love that way. Right, but what do you say about Stephen that we looked at just, what was that, last week, the week before? Stephen taking stones to the face, and then he's like, ah, just forgive them. And then he falls down and takes a nap. This is the kind of love that we get to grow into where our hearts aren't wavered by anger and hatred and jealousy. It's just unconditional, hoping the best in other people. The proof that you are maturing is not that you've been in church a long time, and it's not that you know a bunch of stuff about Jesus, and it's not that you understand Greek really well. The proof is that you love people well. Let me pray. We'll watch the cue together. Father, um, we come to you, um, and we, we know we know that love is important to you if if it was going to come naturally to us, God, you wouldn't have commanded it of us. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to love others well. Help us to agape love ourselves even, that through your gospel we can forgive ourselves for the things that we really dislike about ourselves. Um, help us to love others better, um, to hope the best in others, to not to not wish ill against others. Lord, help us to to pray for, to support, and to love others that we disagree with. Help us to love the unlovable. Help us to look like Jesus uh, in that way. We, we hope that you will, uh, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.